0: actually, and then my beautiful daughter, Annie, and my wife's beautiful as well. Uh, Don't miss that. And then uh, a special privilege to us, my oldest son, who's down at uh, Southern Seminary, and his girlfriend, um, um, Adrian, so Carson and Adrian are with us today, and some dear friends from the north side of Indy. So uh, we are just privileged to be here. I, uh, I grew up in Fort Wayne, so anytime we get a chance to get back to the promised land in Indiana... It's a great, great uh, opportunity. So, thanks for having us in. I do work for ABWE, our North American team called Every Ethne. And uh, um, as Pastor uh, made mention, we are here just to serve local churches and be on mission with them and see ways that we can serve and help them fulfill the Great Commission here in North America and throughout the world. So, uh, we love your city. We love your church and what you're doing to reach people here and around the world and pray for much more fruit in that. Amen? Um, why don't you take, take your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, if you will, Philippians chapter 1. And as you do, I have a question for you. It's kind of more of a fill-in-the-blank sort of question. How would you finish this sentence? How would you finish sentence? the sentence? The greatest hindrance to the Christian mission is what? The greatest hindrance to the Christian mission, what is it that keeps the church from pursuing the mission that Jesus has given to take the gospel to the world And to make disciples of all nations. I can think of several potential answers that maybe might come to your mind. I mean, it's potential that someone may say, well, there's not enough money. Like, if we had more money to support more missionaries, to do more things, to send around the world, then maybe we could fulfill that mission, right? Or maybe someone might say, well, it's just we need to be more bold. Like, we don't have the boldness that we need to have to fulfill that uh, great commission Um, of persecution, You'd be like, well, if there's less persecution, then maybe people would be more free to take the gospel, to fulfill that mission. Um, how about us here? How about the American dream? kind of battles against that in our own hearts and our own souls, right? Or, or the God of our comfort, that we just love what we love. We love being comfortable here um, in the United States. Maybe it's, well, if we had more pure doctrine, right? If we had more pure doctrine, then we could maybe take that mission and fulfill that mission um, to reach people sure there's several others that you could come up with on your own, and I understand that there's probably not one clear answer to this statement, but there's one that I want to propose to you this morning, one that's been kind of on my mind and my heart over the last several months, maybe it's kind of has risen to the top of the list for me, and it's this, that the greatest hindrance to the Christian mission is an unbiblical belief or an unbiblical view of Christian life and death. That we just don't think biblically enough. We don't think and understand what the Bible teaches about what life is and what death is. That maybe, maybe the reason we don't engage in the mission and calling to go make disciples of all nations is that we have not fully grasped or understood or believed in and embraced what the scriptures teach about life and death. Maybe we can even say it like this. Um, do you want to reach the unreached? It's the theme of the conference, right? Do you want to reach the unreached? Then, then you probably need to have a laser-like focus on what the Bible teaches about living and dying. Do you uh, want to take the gospel to the least reached peoples and places in the world? Then I suggest that maybe you, you uh, refocus your direction in your life in the anticipation of your impending death? Do you want to be faithful to the Christian mission where you live, where you work, and where you play? That I believe that you need to see everything that you do through the lens of gospel work. Many places we could turn to in the scriptures to unpack this, but Philippians chapter 1 is where we want to focus our time this morning. Look at verse 19, and then we'll catch you up on what's happening here. Just follow along as I read 19 to 26. Paul the Apostle writes, for I, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So let me catch a little bit up of what's happening here in the context. In AD 51, Paul kind of heads out on his second missionary journey. And if you remember, in Acts chapter 16, he, is, uh, he wants to go preach the gospel in Asia, but it says the Spirit of God prevents him. So he has a vision that night. He has a dream, and the Lord appears to him. And there's a man in Macedonia who says, come over here and preach the gospel here. And so Paul takes that as a sign that God's calling them to go into Macedonia. So what he does is him and his team, they, they go into Macedonia, and they go right into the leading city of that region called Philippi. It wasn't long before a church is planted in Philippi, and then the church begins to grow in Philippi. We see throughout the history that there's a lot of love, great relationship between Paul and this church at Philippi. And about 10 years later, so let's fast forward the clock now, and about 10 years later, Paul, at the end of the book of Acts, finds himself in jail. He's in Rome, and he's in prison. He's in kind of a a house sort of prison but he is he's waiting a trial he doesn't know what's going to happen to him and so and so what happens the church of Philippi finds out that Paul is in kind of this desperate situation and they send a man by the name of Paphroditus with a special gift to Paul to take care of him while he's in prison and also to be his servant and minister to Paul's needs while he's in jail Paul then in return writes this letter back to the people of Philippi He lets them know at the beginning in chapter 1 that he loves them, what they mean to him. He cares for them. He encourages them that no matter what happens to him, um, he knows that the one who started the work in their life is the one who's going to fulfill that work in their life, right? He lets them know that the mission has not stopped because he's been put in jail. He he says, there's, there's more people that have heard the gospel because I've been imprisoned than if I hadn't been imprisoned. Like the whole praetorian guard has heard. And then there's a whole group of people that are now emboldened to share their faith because of what has happened. And that leads us directly then into verse 19. Look again in verse 19. For I know that through your prayers, don't, don't miss that, through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Do you see the confidence that Paul has there? He's sitting in jail, waiting on his trial to understand what's going to happen in his future, his fate, his life, He knows that whether it's the Lord's will for him to live or if it's the Lord's will for him to die, it will turn out for his good. He knows that no matter what happens in this trial, it's because of their prayers and the spirit of Jesus in the situation that will lead to his deliverance. Now, immediately we think that like, well, Paul thinks he's going to get out of jail, right? I don't think that's what Paul is meaning there in verse 19 by saying that it's going to turn out for my deliverance. The whole context is showing that Paul is a little bit unclear about what's going to happen. More likely, verse 19, when he says that, um, it's going to turn out for his deliverance. Um, he's not just referring to being released from jail because what he's referring to specifically, I think, is that there's a good chance he might die. And for Paul, it doesn't matter it doesn't matter how the trial t- turns out. He has a confidence that he will be delivered or literally he'll be um, acquitted in the final court of heaven. He's holding his life and his impending death with an open hand. He then emphasizes in verse 20, I love this. He states really a motto. Here's a great motto you can have for your life. You ready for this? That Christ would be honored in my body whether by life or by death. It's powerful. He's standing, friends, listen, he is standing on the verge, he's standing on the verge of not knowing what's going to happen in his future. He says, it doesn't matter. All that matters is that Christ is honored in my body whether by life or by death. He's saying, should I be sentenced to death and executed or remain here so that I can serve you? Whichever the Lord chooses for me, Christ is going to be honored in what I do. Really, this motto then, I think, um, this desire for Christ to be honored in his body by life or by death, really kind of, I think, gives us direction. It sets up the rest of the passage, specifically then leading into verse 21, but then the rest of it, that like, do we have a desire to take the gospel to the least reached? Do we have a desire to take the gospel to our friends and to our neighbors? Do we have a, a hope that the church can be that beacon of light to reach the unreached, in your city of Indianapolis and beyond to the world? If so, then let me suggest two very simple points from the rest of the passage. Number one, Jesus is the only appropriate pursuit of life. Jesus is the only appropriate pursuit of life. Verse 21, leading into that. For to me, to live is, come on now, Christ. Say it again. For me to live is? It's a familiar passage, friends. Don't, don't enter into this with some sort of like, oh, I know what this is all about. Don't, don't miss the impact in the familiar. Jesus is the singular passion in Paul's life. He's saying that Jesus Christ is the pursuit for how he lives. And please note what he doesn't say. He doesn't say what, how most of the world lives, and honestly, if we're like, let's just not say about them out there, let's talk about us in here, how we oftentimes live. What do I mean? Well, I mean, how many people would say to live is pursuing my self-interest, right? Let's be honest. I mean, Paul didn't buy into the Epicurean motto of eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we will die, right? This is the focus, the intention of many people in our world and unfortunately many in the church. Like, live up your life. Enjoy it as much as you can. Have as much fun. Be happy. Be fulfilled in life. This plays itself out in a variety of ways. To live is entertainment. To live is career. Like, work, work, work. To live is money, to live as uh, gaining possessions, to live his sports, and to live his health, to live his family, to live his my kids. I wrapped my whole life around them. We could go on and on and on. Read, read the book of Ecclesiastes sometime, and you see the wisest man who ever lived, who had more resources than any of us could even dream of ever having. And he said that he pursued all of those things and more that he tried to focus his life on work and things and even humor and women and money and so on and so forth. And King Solomon at the end of it says it's just all vanity. It's like chasing after the wind. There's no hope, there's no passion, there's no fulfillment in them. For Paul, he rightly focuses his life on the person and work of Jesus Christ. He says to live is Christ." Friends, this pursuit coming from Paul is not just some sort of like, well, he's just this spiritual elite guy. He's just the spiritual giant out there. No, it is the example of what the singular passion should be for all who claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so just so we're abundantly clear here, right? I mean, just so that we're on the same page this morning, if you've come to the point in your life where you're like, I've expressed faith and repentance in Christ alone, if you are, if you're born again, if you, um, um, if you're a believer in Jesus this morning, let me suggest to you that there's only one appropriate pursuit for your life, and it's Jesus Christ. Now, at this point, you may sit there and go, okay, so that's great. That's good spiritual jargon. What does that really mean? Like, how to, like, let's flesh that out in our life. Like, Okay, yes, of course Jesus is the pursuit of my life, but what does it really mean that He is the singular passion of what I do? Well, let me give you a couple ideas, a couple suggestions. The first is this that to live as Christ means faith in Christ, right? To live as Christ means faith in Christ. That when we focus our life on Jesus as the singular passion, It means entrusting ourselves to all that he is and all that he accomplished upon the cross. It means leaning into that gospel message in its entirety. Um, Maybe a good commentary of Philippians 1, 21 is found in Galatians chapter two, verse 20, right? Where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. A lot to unpack there that we're not going to take the time to. But just understand, like Paul's saying, hey, I've been crucified. I've laid myself at the foot of the cross. And now the life that I live is lived in faith, trusting daily for Jesus to lead me. Like I'm willing to put aside my life. It's not just something that happens at the moment of salvation. Like, this is my life. Everything that I do is through faith in him. I trust him. Um, one of the best illustrations that I've ever heard and used um, of this, like, what does it mean to have faith, is, is by the, a man by the name of Jean Gravelet, who in the 1800s was the most, world's most uh, popular, most famous um, acrobat. He became most famous for crossing Niagara Falls, Um, on a tightrope 1300 feet above the uh, um, 1300 feet long and 190 feet above the water said in his lifetime that he he crossed niagara some 300 times Um, one of the first times he did it before a maze crowd he would he would walk back and forth across the wire one time he actually stood on his head on the wire in the middle across niagara falls one time, he actually carried a guy on his back across Niagara and back. One time, he pushed a wheelbarrow across Niagara while he was blindfolded. Crazy, look it up. Go read about him sometime. One time, he asked, um, he, well, he actually put 200 pounds of sandbags in a wheelbarrow and rolled it across Niagara on a tightrope and back. He got back to the, the back, and he asked the amazed crowd, he said, "Um, do you believe that I can, that I can go across Niagara with this wheelbarrow with 200 pounds in it? And the amazed crowd's like, yeah, of course, we just saw you do it. And he goes, okay, get in. Get in. You guys want to know what faith is? It's getting in the wheelbarrow with Christ at the helm. I think that's what it means to live a life of faith. Surrounding your life of him, to live as Christ, means faith in Christ. But I wonder if there's another uh, way that maybe Paul could have meant this. I think you can also say maybe the step further from that is to live as Christ means following after Christ, right? So we entrust our lives to him, but then as Galatians 2 says, we've been crucified, like he he has died. We have died. Our faith means that we give up of ourselves and we take we take on his hopes and dreams for our life. He is the one who lives in us, and so we follow hard after Christ. It means that we obey him in our lives daily, right? Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 to 15, a great passage. In fact, the context of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is, is all about us called to be on this mission. But Paul says, for the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him for, who for their sake died and was raised. Now, at first glance, when you read that, it's like, okay, I don't know, is that good? That's not good gospel. Like, I, I wonder, like, I thought Christ died so that we wouldn't have to die. Right? Isn't that what we talk about? But in reality, what Paul is saying is that the life comes after our death. What death? Death to ourselves. He died so that we might not live for ourselves, but that we might follow hard after him, pursue his desires, obey him in relationship. And so I think that to live as Christ means that we have faith in him. I think it means that we follow after him. But let me suggest there's one more sense. I think probably the strongest sense of what Paul means it here in Philippians chapter one, and it's this, is that to live as Christ means serving like Christ. To serve like Christ In fact, uh, flip back if you're, well, hopefully you're still there in Philippians chapter one. Look at the next several verses. Look at verse 22. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, it will mean fruitful labor. Why? It means that he is going to give his life to them as he pursues Christ. We'll turn to the other side of the coin in just a second where Paul says that I desire to depart and be with Christ. And he says that is actually far better. But note that the selflessness of Paul laying his life down for these people He's convinced that, yeah, okay, I'm going to remain on in the flesh for your sake. Please note there in verse 26 at the end, Paul's service was not just, hey, I'm going to do this to create some sort of platform, right? But in verse 26, so that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. Like this is his end goal is that these people would glorify Christ more. So think about it even in the context of of this conference, in the context of reaching the unreached, to selflessly lay your life down, to lay your desires down, to lay your health down, to lay your wealth down, to, to lay your passions down for the sake of others so that they may come to glory in Christ. You're going to reach the unreached people in Indianapolis because you want them to glory in Christ. Amen? I think that's exactly what Paul means when he says to live as Christ. He says that if we're going to live on this life, then the purpose of this life is to give it to others. That the only way to do this is to live your life through the lens of kingdom relationships, a kingdom Mindset. It means that everything I'm going to do is through the lens of how does, like, why did God put me here? What's the purpose of my job? Why am I living in the neighborhood that I'm living in? I, I, I think it's revealed in the, this life is not about me. I think this theme becomes really obvious. Friends, When we put others' needs as more important than our own. Why? Because when we do that, when we live our life thinking about others' needs as more important to us, coming in to step in to serve as opposed to be served, we are modeling and following after the image of Jesus Christ who in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, said that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to what? Serve. To serve. So, Listen, let me just, if you guys got to know me, you'll know, I got some friends here from the north side of Indy. They know I'm kind of blunt. Okay, so I'm just going to say the way it is. Um, for some of you, for some of you, uh, this could mean that the Lord will call you to go reach the unreached of the world. And your church would celebrate that. Like God's going to, the Spirit's just beginning to work, saying, you know what, I need to go take whatever job I do, or, or maybe I'm younger, and maybe God wants to open up the door or, or something, but I want to go to the world, people who haven't heard the gospel, and take the gospel to them. Honestly, I prayed this week, I know others have prayed this week that the Lord would call some of you to give your life away for the cause of Christ. It's the greatest work this world has ever known. For most of you, Serving like Christ means supporting and praying and giving and encouraging and serving in the church. The friends, that the path to reaching the lost over there is reaching the lost here. The way forward for you to giving our life or your life in service to others begins every time you talk to your neighbor. Whenever you walk through the doors of your your business, whenever you kids go to school, that our life of serving like Christ is cultivated every time we walk through the doors of the church. I was listening to a podcast recently and uh, the, the guy on the, p- the podcast said that there's two ways to enter a church. Um, Pastor Toby can relate to this, I'm sure. Um, I pastored for 18 years and I can tell you that this dilemma is real. Two ways to enter into church. Way number one, you walk in and say, I'm here, someone please serve me. Way number two, I walk in church saying, I'm here, how can I serve you? Guys, listen, I, I wonder if the hard attitude it takes to reach the unreached begins with a mustard seed of faith to walk into church week after week, to walk into your small group, to walk into a business meeting, to walk into your own family gathering, to walk into your neighborhood with the thought, I'm here, who can I serve today? I think that's what it means to live as Christ. Jesus is the only appropriate pursuit of life. There's much more that we can do, but for time's sake, let's move on to number two. If Jesus is the only appropriate pursuit of life, Jesus, number two, is the only valuable prize in death. Jesus is the only valuable prize in death. Look back at verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is what? Gain. Do we believe that? How Gain of what? Right? I mean, what Paul is saying here is that in death, in death, listen, in death, you get what has been the pursuit of your life. So, an unhindered and unfiltered and undistracted relationship with Jesus Christ. Then look at verse 23. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. It's far better. Listen, I, I want that sort of love for Jesus. Don't you? I recently had a dear friend whose father passed away. In the process, his father actually kept a journal the last month of his life, writing some things down about, about his, his, kind of what death looks like and You know, his thoughts about leaving his family and different things. And I got to tell you, getting to know this man over the last 10 years or so has been one of the joys of my life. He, uh, I've never met someone that longed to depart and be with Jesus like this man did. Here's an excerpt from his final journal just a few days before he entered glory. He said, I've said to a few folks that I have no fear. Perhaps as I come closer to death, I will. I don't know. But I don't think so. I do feel a trembling of curiosity. What will the experience be? Will I walk through a door into Narnia and see Aslan? Or will it be an entirely different experience of instantly leaving this disappointing world and right away meeting Jesus with a smile so warm and tender that I've never seen before? Only then, John says, will I see him as he is. I, I love the fact that when this man was looking death in the face for him, it was all about Christ. It was meeting Jesus. It was a journey in his life of service has come to an end, and he was going to get what the passion of his life was, Christ. Um, I went uh, back in the day and went to Moody Bible Institutes where I did my undergrad. I remember the president at the time, uh, Dr. Joseph Stoll, said this one time, he says, most Americans get verse 21 backwards. He says, they think to live is gain and to die is Christ, which sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Like, like it sounds good. It sounds true. It's It's not just pagan Americans that might think that. I think that's in the church. Like the thought is pursue all of life that you can now today and die happy because in the end you'll get Jesus. Listen, this is maybe one of the greatest errors in the American Christian church and quite possibly why I believe that this view of life and death may be the greatest hindrance to the Christian mission. Ready? More often than not, more often than not, when death is spoken of, I hear people speak about meeting their family and their loved ones and other people where they talk about being in a better place with no more suffering and pain. I rarely hear people talking about, I can't wait to go meet Jesus. This is what Paul is saying here. That the biblical view of death is distinctly tied to your view of life. And if you get the first one wrong, you may well be getting the second one wrong as well. If life is not about Christ, then death cannot ever be gained. Ever. But when life is about Christ, about faith, about following him, about serving like Christ, then death is sweet because in death now you get what has been the pursuit of your life. You see, I I think we tend to try and live up life here today because we don't believe that there's another life yet to be lived. A life with Jesus for all eternity. I think if we believe that deep into our souls and into the core of who we are, that living life for another world um, that we have yet to see, I think it would shape and change our goals and intentions. In fact, just flip over one chapter, and we're almost done here. In chapter 3, verse 18, here's what Paul says, further expanding on this. 318, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Who are they? Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in shame with minds set on earthly things. Those are the people who are enemies of the cross of Christ. But, verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. One commentator made the point, one who enjoys the presence of Christ in this life is not to be deprived of it when this life ends, for Christ is alive and on the other side of death, and because he lives on, his people will live on. Friends, listen, there's so much more to say, but it's time to end. Jesus is the only appropriate pursuit of life. He is the only valuable prize of death. Um, So let me end with this. It is a missions conference on reaching the unreached, so let me, you've probably heard his story before, but let me just briefly recount the story of John Patton. Um, If you've never heard of John Patton, I'd encourage you, go find a book, grab an article about him. Uh, Patton was a missionary, a missionary, um, born in Scotland in 1824, at the age of 33 then, he felt called to the um, he- Hebrides, the new Hebrides Islands. It's really a chain of islands from about 450 miles long from the South Pacific uh, between Hawaii and Australia. In 1939, when he was just 15 years old, John Williams and James Harris of the London Missionary Society were the, were the first people to go try and evangelize these islands. As soon as they stepped on the island, they were killed and eaten by the people there. They're cannibals. Many years later, Patton, knowing that, still had felt this, this call to take the gospel to these people. He made a a public desire of that, saying, hey, I feel like God's calling me there. One older gentleman, a man by the name of Mr. Um, Dixon, exploded at him, and he said these words. He says, those cannibals, you will be eaten by cannibals. Patton, just 33 years old, he replied, Mr. Dixon, you're advanced in years now. Your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave and there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or eaten by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Savior. (laughs) He was bold. He was confident in his calling. Met up with extreme sorrow. He, within months of being on one of the islands, his wife and his newborn baby both died he dug graves for them within six months of being on this mission he remained kept faithful to his task amid many attempts on his life he uh he remained firm to that calling commitment that god had called him to he he once said um, i am immortal until my master's work with me is done and what a perspective he would pray again and again, Lord, protect me and take me home to glory as you see fit. Protect me or take me home to glory. 45 plus years he served on these islands. He saw a majority of the islands give them lives to Christ. He was used in some really unique ways of the Lord by the Lord during his life. Near the end of his life, he, he reflecting back on all that the Lord had accomplished through him, he said this, and let me end with this. He said this. If God gave me back my life to be lived over again, I would without one quiver of hesitation lay it on the altar to Christ that he might use it as before in similar ministries of love, especially amongst those who have never yet heard the name of Jesus. Wow. What moves a guy like to do that? I can tell you, it's because Jesus is the only appropriate pursuit of his life, and he realized that Jesus is the only valuable prize in his death. Let me pray. Father, um, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul's testimony here. Thank you for the many missionaries that have gone before that have lived this. But Lord, I, I pray that this isn't some special missionary thing. Lord, that all of us would have the prize of our life that the pursuit of our life would be Jesus. The prize of our death would be Christ. And so, Lord, Father, your your spirit move and guide and direct in in ways that we can't see now in the hearts of these people. Maybe there's some that need to um, repent of, of making their life about themselves. Maybe there's some that need to rejoice that Christ is doing amazing things through their selfless acts of service as they follow hard after Christ. Father, do much as you will in Christ's name. Amen.